Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, The War for Light and the Return Tonight. That's the War for Light and the Return for Night. And we'll bring you the first portion today. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with The War for Light and The Return Tonight. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. With God, love and light are the same thing. The Bible says God is light, and it says in another place, God is love. I mean, these are equal truths. God is light and love. And when God reveals truth in your life, it is love at work in you because God is love and truth. Friend, if there's no light that comes to you, and if darkness rules the night, the light of love is vanquished from the soul that was meant to see the light of life. Christ came into this world to be the light of the world. And ever since the light broke into the night, the darkness has made war on the light of the world with fury. The first act of God's creation was the spoken word of God that banished the darkness to create the world. In Genesis 1-3, God said, Let there be light, and the light was declared good. And of course, when you read the story, darkness was not called good. In the Bible, the very first word of God is the first light that comes from God. Let there be light was the first word of God. The sun, the moon, and the stars were made on the fourth day, not the first day, because they are appointed lights that bear witness to original light, which is the very word of God that is the light. The sun, the moon, the stars are lamps in the night, but before there were lamps in a midnight sky, there was a lamp that was not made of sun, moon, or star. There was original light that overcame the night. John eight twelve says Jesus proclaimed in that time of moral darkness, I am the light of the world. In the first chapter of John, the light is the living word of God. The living word of God that is God, that shines in the night of the darkest life, that shines in the void of evil itself, that overcomes the night with original light. And that light is Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Friends, if you're trying to find your way to truth and you're going down a road that is not connected to the person of Jesus Christ, there will be no life and light and truth in your life because original light is not written light. It is the living light of Jesus. The Word of God and the light of God are the same truth in the Gospel of John. The first light in the Bible is the first word and the first word and the first light come from Jesus. So in the Bible, it's very clear. You can see it right there in Genesis 1. Light overcoming darkness. 
You can see it in John 1. The darkness did not overtake it. You can see right in the Bible that the very first time light appears, there is a war on light, and there is a struggle between the day and the night. John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the Bible, there is a war for light, there is a war on light, and a battle for the night. And the Bible is a lamp and a light that points to the living light that is Jesus Christ. You know, some people say, well, Pastor Mike, isn't that kind of old fogeyish to be talking about the Bible so much? Why not get into this new book that was written or the latest research on philosophical understandings of postmodernism? Or how about going into the existential realities of what it means to be a Christian light of our feelings based on our forethought of philosophical insight or some kind of mumbo jumbo like that? Friend, I, I guess I am old fashioned here today because I believe, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I believe. That at the void that was the beginning of this world, the light shined in the darkness. And I believe that Christ, who is the living light, as John 1, 9 says, illumines every man and woman who comes into the world. And I believe that when He did so, He gave us the Bible. That through the long centuries of prophetic proclamation, we have the truth of God's Word today. And so the Bible is God's appointed agency to lead you out of darkness to Jesus Christ. Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a what? A lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Christ was clear that the Scriptures point to Him and that they should not be studied without the sense that they point to that first light. We're not saved by the Bible, as important as it is. We're saved by Jesus. But the Bible points to Jesus. Jesus made this clear, John 5.39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness to me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so to be the people of the book, we must be the people of Jesus Christ, right? We must allow the Bible to lead us to Jesus, or its function is not realized in our life. So it's no accident that the pure woman of Revelation 12.1, symbolizing the heavenly Jerusalem, is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and twelve stars in her head, and she is pregnant with Jesus, who is the light of the world. In Psalms 19, the sun represents God's written word and law. And like a bridegroom, the sun journeys from the east to the west, which means the word of God has authority in time from the dawn of time to the end of time, from the dawn to the sunset to the eschatological realization of all things. The Word of God is relevant according to Psalms 19. And then David begins to sing in this proclamation song in verse 7 of Psalms 19, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The sun gives light for the eyes. And so the Word of God, the law of God, is like the sun. It enlightens the eyes. The moon represents, in contrast, the testimony of Jesus through the prophets that bears witness to the light of the world. The moon is a lesser light to the sun, yet nonetheless it's light, and it points to the light of the Bible and to the law of God. Psalms 89, verse 37, Like the moon, it shall be established forever. And then it tells you what the moon is. A faithful witness. That means one who gives testimony in the skies. What does the moon give witness to? It gives witness to the sun. It is a lesser light that points to the greater light. In Revelation 1.16, Jesus' face shines in full strength like the sun. In Revelation 19.13, Christ has the name which is called the Word of God. 
So the moon points to the law and the written Word of God. But because the sunshine is in Jesus' face, it points to Jesus who is the original light that gave us the law, that gave us the Word of God. And so it is the testimony of Jesus. That's what the moon is. Revelation 19.10, Then I fell at His feet, John says, to worship that angel. But He said to me, don't do it. Now, if you can't worship an angel, now hear what I'm saying. If an angel from God says, you cannot bow down and worship me, let me ask you a question. Do you have a right to pray to any saint or human being? No. The Word of God says, you shall not do that. The angel says, don't do that for me. And then he gives the reason. He says, I am a fellow servant with you and your brethren who hold to the testimony of Jesus, worship God for the testimony of Jesus. And then it says, is the spirit of prophecy. Again, that lesser light that points to the greater light of the Bible and ultimately to Jesus. In Revelation 22.9, the testimony of Jesus is the prophet's testimony about Jesus that comes from Jesus. John says in Revelation 1 that he gave witness to the testimony of Jesus and to the word of God. So God has revealed Himself through Jesus, who is the light of the world, by the sun, which symbolizes the law of God, the written word of God, and the moon, which represents the testimony of Jesus, the manifestation of the prophetic gift that brings men and women back to the Bible. In contrast to the sun and moon, the stars are little points of light that cooperate with the great lamps of the sky to illumine the world. In this sense, the stars represent the children of Abraham, both Jew and Gentile. You know, God took Abraham out. He said, Abraham, look up to the sky. It was nighttime in Genesis 15. He says, count the stars. And he couldn't count them. That's how your descendants will be. You'll not be able to count them. They'll be like the stars of the sky. The stars are the people of God who shine in a midnight sea of darkness, who illumine the world, who cooperate with the sun and the moon to give light to a dark world. In Daniel 12.3, the prophet Daniel just says it this way, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. How many of you like to shine like a star in your life? You want to do that? Well, to do that, you've got to let the light of Jesus come through you to others, which means you need the Bible and you need the testimony of Jesus. We need these truths as background information. I've done all of this this morning gone through this basic picture here to give you the context to understand the war on light and the return to night that is portrayed in the first five trumpets in the book of Revelation. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Revelation 8, verse 6. Revelation 8, 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets were made ready to blow them. And the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood which fell on the earth and a third of the earth was burnt up. A third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. And people say, Pastor Mike, what on earth is that talking about? Well, let's try to figure it out together with our Bible's assistance. The first trumpet represents the first judgment of Jesus Christ in history on the Jewish nation that rejected the light of His personal coming in the first century. That's basically what's happening here. I'm going to show you how. In the preamble to the seven trumpets in Revelation 8, 1 to 5, We discovered last week that Jesus held a golden censer in His hand full of the prayers of the saints when He came to the cross to die for our sins. And so He came to the altar, which is the bronze altar in the outer court, symbolizing the cross. He was given much incense to take into the holy place to the golden altar, which is before God. In other words, when He ascended to heaven, He took the prayers of God's people that He had prayed and those who He prayed for at the cross right into heaven itself. 
it's very clear he was given much incense for the golden altar, and he was also given fire at, at the golden altar for the censer. And so we see prayers and fire mix in the golden censer once he takes his place at the golden altar in the holy place. Now, why is this? Because the book of Revelation teaches very clearly that judgments come not because God is arbitrary. Judgments come as a response to prayer. As God's people have been praying through history, the prayer vials, for instance, in the seven plagues, are eventually poured out upon the earth to answer the prayers of the people of God. And so it is with the trumpets as well, which are historical judgments. Now, the seven trumpets, unlike the seven uh, plagues, represent historical interventions of Jesus in history in response to prayer to answer the needs of the human race to come to God. So in Revelation 8.5, the Bible says the angel took the censer and filled it with fire and threw it to the earth. Now, this sets the context for the first trumpet, which is the first judgment of Jesus Christ that falls upon the earth on the very city where he prayed for the world. Now, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 10, verse 2, we have an interesting statement. The angels told to take coals of fire and to throw them upon Jerusalem. And the context here is the conquest of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. And the same thing is happening in the first trumpet. Let's read Ezekiel 10, 2 to get the context and flavor of this. And he said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. Very similar to the first trumpet. The first trumpet is represented as a plague of hail and fire that burns up a third of the earth, a third of the trees, and all the grass. So let's look at the first symbol here, hail and fire. Where's that coming from? It's no accident that hail and fire together was the plague that fell in ancient Egypt at the time of the barley and flax harvest in the spring just before Israel left Egypt. Turn with me to Exodus 9. Look at verse 31. Here the Bible says, The flax and the barley were ruined, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not ruined, for they are late in coming up. So what's going on here? Well, we know from our previous studies of this matter that the spring feast of Passover occurred at what harvest? The barley or the wheat? Remember? It was the barley harvest. In fact, the first fruits of the wave sheep on Sunday morning that represented the resurrection was most likely barley in the hand of the priest when he waved it before the Lord. So there's no missing it. Christ came to Jerusalem to die as the Passover lamb at the time of the barley harvest. And the religious leaders rejected him and threw him outside the city and crucified him when he was trying to bear a harvest for souls at that critical time. In the first trumpet, here we see hail and fire fall on the city of Jerusalem, just like it did on ancient Egypt the temple and the city that had no place for Christ at the time of the barley harvest, had no place for the cross of Christ, it experiences a judgment at the hands of the Roman armies under Titus. The Roman legions in 70 A.D. burned the Jewish temple to the ground as the judgment of fire and hell, figuratively speaking, fell upon the earth. So what do the symbols of earth, trees, and grass represent? Let's move forward. In the Old Testament, God promised Abraham the land, the earth, he promised him the earth because he was faithful to the call to leave the land of tower builders and come to God's land. And so God said in Genesis 13, 15 and following, For the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will give your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your descendants also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. 
Now, Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 5, 5, the meek shall inherit the earth. And Abraham was meek. What happens when God's people refuse to be meek? What happened to the nation that was so sure of itself that it boasted of its relationship with God, but it didn't care about reaching out to the Gentiles? According to this trumpet, fire falls upon the earth. The holy land can be burned to a cinder if it is not faithful to the truth. Trees represent those in this context of the land who keep the whole law of God, including the seventh-day Sabbath. With love and faith, a tree grows on the land because the environment is healthy for growth. So the man who meditates on God's law day and night, according to the Bible, is represented by a tree. So we know what the earth is. A tree would naturally come on the land. Look at Psalms 1-3. David says he, meaning a righteous man, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Now look at verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff with the wind drives away. There's only one song in the entire Hebrew Psalter that is a song for the Sabbath. It's found in Psalms 92. If you look at the very top of that chapter, it says a song for the Sabbath. And in this chapter, a righteous Sabbath keeper who keeps the fourth commandment is compared to a tree. Psalms 92, 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of God. They flourish in the courts of our God. So someone who keeps the entire law of God through faith in God, through faith in Christ, is compared to be a tree. So what happened to those Sabbath keepers of the first century? What happened to the Jewish nation that kept the law but didn't keep Christ? What happened to those who were so sure they were right, but in their hearts they were wrong? They rejected the Lord of the Sabbath. What happens to the nation that has the theology that's correct, but somehow it doesn't have the heart experience that is correct? We know what happens. In Luke 23, 28, Jesus is speaking as He is moving toward the cross, being whipped by the mob. Christ turns to a group of women and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for Me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never gave suck. And then verse 30, Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. Verse 31, for if they do this, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? What is dry wood good for, friend? It's good for being burned. In the first trumpet, a third of the trees were burned up. It fulfills the words of Jesus. This is what's going to happen to the city of Jerusalem. If you keep the Sabbath, friend, without the law of the Sabbath, we have an historical example of what it means. You're going to be burned up at the end. You can be burned up just like the people were who failed to accept the living Jesus Christ. As I read my Bible, the Sabbath is a sign and seal that we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. It points to Him as the Creator and Savior of the world. It is not an end in itself. It is a light that points to the greater light. Now, what about the grass? What does the grass represent here? The earth represents the holy land given to Abraham. The trees, obviously, are those who keep the law, watered by the streams of the Holy Spirit. They find fertile place for growth in God's environment. But the grass is a more general term than trees. The grass in the context represents a generation of people upon the earth that passes away, that is renewed in the morning by another regeneration of generation, so to speak. In the first trumpet, all the grass was burned up, referring to the end, of that generation. Now, there's a famous book that's been written in American history 
by Neil and Hal called Generations, The History of America's Future. It's one of the great works of history and sociology demonstrating how generational cycles work. And I would just really challenge you to get that book out of the library and read it. But a, a generation is renewed every 22 years. But if you think of a generational cycle, there are four generations alive at any given point in time, which means a generational cycle is about 80-plus years. In Isaiah 47 and 8, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So just before the destruction of Jerusalem and the burning of the temple, the Bible is very clear here. What we would have is the beginning of the end of that generation. Nero killed Peter and Paul, and then Nero himself committed suicide. He accused the early Christians of burning the city of Rome. And so what did he do? He lit the games outside of palaces there in the Hippodrome with Christians dipped in tar. The persecution started in the first century. And shortly after Rome burned, Jerusalem burned too in 70 A.D. In a few years after the destruction of Jerusalem, the entire generation of grass that saw Jesus come to this earth eventually died. The great generation of the apostolic era passed away. Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flower fades. In the first trumpet, all the grass was burned up, meaning the whole generation passed away. So ask yourself the question, what does God do when that generation is gone? What is left when the grass is burned up? Isaiah 40 verse 8 continues. It gives the answer. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In 1 Peter 1.24, just before Peter was executed by Nero, he quotes this verse to reassure those early Christians that even though he would die, even though the apostolic age would come to an end, the Word of God would abide forever. Those early Christians gave us the New Testament witness to Jesus in the apostolic gospel. So the first trumpet represents the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the apostolic era when all the grass died. In Matthew 24, 34, Jesus said, This generation will not pass away until all these things in the Greek begin to happen. In other words, the generation would be there to see the destruction of Jerusalem and the events that he had foresaw. And so it is in the first trumpet. The second trumpet points to the end of the unified Roman Empire as the Pax Romana. It's been called the Roman Peace by Edward Gibbon and others. It really describes history under the Roman rule in the first two centuries that came to an end as we understand in Scripture because Jesus brought it to an end. Revelation 8, verse 8, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. In the book of Revelation, a mountain can represent a unified world kingdom system ruled by a king with religious significance attached to it. In other words, it's a spiritual mountain kingdom. In Isaiah 2, 2, the mountain is called the mountain of the Lord's house. The harlot church of the apocalypse sits on seven mountains, which represents seven religious phases of world history. In Revelation 17, 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain only a little while. So in Jeremiah 51, 25 and 26, God describes the destruction of Babylon the same way. He says, Behold, I'm against you, O destroying mountains, says the Lord, 
which destroys the whole earth. I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags and make you a burnt mountain. No stone shall be taken from you for a corner and no stone for a foundation, but you shall be a perpetual waste, says the Lord. Set up a standard on the earth. Blow the trumpet among the nations. Prepare the nations for war against her. So here we have a burning mountain. What we have is the imagery of the beginning of war, that war brings an end to this great kingdom. In 1 Peter 5.13, just before he was crucified by the Roman Emperor Nero, Peter referred to Rome cryptically as the city of Babylon. He, in fact, he refers to the church that is in Babylon, meaning the church in Rome. Rome conquered the world, and it, was, and it persecuted the people of God. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, remember that there are many more of these sermons available for you at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. Spiritualism, in a variety of forms, is making its way through the Western world. The afterlife, the spirit world, and spirit mediums can be found in movies, best-selling books, and popular TV programs. These themes are making their way into our children's entertainment, even. We have this free book to help you understand things a little bit better, entitled Dark Tunnels or Bright Lights. This book candidly reveals biblical truth, about this subject and pulls the curtain aside to reveal why there is so much interest in this topic. The book reveals the deceptions of spiritualism based on biblical teachings so that you can confidently discern truth from error as the topic continues to gain momentum across all levels of society. Now, this book is absolutely free. You can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages.